Welcome to the Canny Conversations podcast, Conversations with a Cause, with social entrepreneur Safraz Ali. Saf came relatively late to entrepreneurship after working in both the public and private sectors. He coined a phrase that describes what he does as the mad entrepreneur that's make a difference entrepreneurship. As well as being the author of the Canny Bites books, Saf's business interests cover health and social care, business and corporate events, as well as him being the CEO of Pathway Group, a welfare-to-work and skills provider. In these podcasts, he shares his thoughts with journalist Adrian Kibler. So, let's join the conversation. Welcome to Canny Conversations with Safraz Ali. My name is Adrian Kibler. Uh, this podcast aims to bring you a canny conversation with a cause. Conversations that we hope will captivate your curiosity cannily. Now, people that have um, been with us uh, in earlier episodes will know that we've been talking about businesses and particularly the role of people within businesses and getting the right people. And, and of course, for any of you that, that haven't uh, heard the earlier episodes, then um, there's an opportunity to catch up at your convenience um, and, and, and take in the, the earlier podcasts. The ground that we're covering um in this series is also covered in 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 significant depth in Saf's Canny Bites books and there are three of those. All right today we're going to be talking about something a bit more if you like tactical. We've, We've talked about some strategic issues up to now but now we're going to be talking about the mechanics of the process of finding a new person, recruiting them, uh, and, and what I want to do, Saf, is ask you to talk me through the the, the process. Somebody that somebody in your team has left, and uh, or is leaving, and you want to replace them. So let's go into some detail in the, the in the process that you go through, uh, and what are some of the pitfalls that people can fall into? Okay, I, I'm in your team. I've I've, I've handed me noticing. Uh, how do what, where do you go from there? I think the first thing that you realise is that when somebody decides to leave that decision was wasn't then and there it's been a decision that they've been probably looking at for a while uh we automatically don't think we're going to leave one day and then the next day we you know we're not out of the door so it's a period of time and in some cases that could be months it could be years uh often it's a it's 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 not an overnight decision something there has been ticking along and there's been issues rumbling in the background and people leave generally uh, not on a positive basis but for something negative. Most people don't leave a career, job or a career or an organisation um, to progress onto with, with another organisation but it's you know there's a negative factor there and that negative factor is a bit of a pain. Whatever it is, that's tends to be a stronger driving force, more emotional driving force than positivity of a career move with, with an organisation. In most cases, uh, people regard the better, you know, better, you know, there's a saying, is it a better the devil you know than you devil, the, the devil you don't? So generally, that's the case with regard to the making of the decision in terms of leaving an organisation. Uh, you may have also come across the saying that people don't leave businesses, they leave managers. That could be the case, the fact that somebody leaves because of the environment that they're in. 
some change that's happened in terms of teams, managers, factors such as those as well. Sometimes the person who's looking to leave may be still prepared to stay. So the you know so you know there's a you know we've 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 had the situations where where we've offered position to somebody and they have they've had a counter offer from their existing employer you know from from the existing manager or leader and then they decide the fact that they'll stay so that that often happens as well and you know there's many many reasons why why somebody might leave but there's also many reasons why somebody then will stay in the existing role uh, and not decide to leave as well so it's a it's it's a, it's a topic i think is on most businesses minds do you think it would be fair to say that when somebody does decide to leave um, it rarely comes as a complete surprise then is that what you're saying in some cases in some cases yeah it's it's not a surprise in other cases because it's not been discussed there's not been a conversation it could be a shock the employer then realizes the business then realizes that this is something which uh, which they weren't expecting and there's an element of for shock and a surprise and and then it's a matter of doing all you can to try and retain the existing member of uh, of, of your team. I've, I've seen situations, I've heard of situations where there's an element of emotional blackmail, if I can use it, or you know, emotional pressure for the uh, for the employee to to stay. You know, we need you f- for X, Y, Z reasons. You know, how long have you known each other, and so forth, and all those personal tugs for that individuals to stay, and all of these. All of these are fairly common, um, and I think in some cases, yes, you are right. You know, it's not a, it's not a surprise, but uh, I would say majority of the time, it's not something that's been discussed. And when it comes out of the blue, it, then it's uh, it is a surprise for the employers. Uh, and of course, b- businesses invest an awful lot of time and, and effort in in the recruitment process and and losing somebody you know is very significant in terms of losing some skills in terms of losing the investment that you've made in in training that person and in the third canny bites book you talk in considerable depth about the importance of, of retaining staff and, and and keeping them on board but but let's say whatever the reason is um you've got to fill a new post because somebody's left let's sort of drill down into the the process and let's start with the job description because that can influence can't it enormously um whether people decide to apply or not so Tell, tell, tell me something about uh, your views in terms of how a job description, uh, sorry, a job description and a job advert should be written. I think I think the two things are quite different in terms of what a job description is and what an advertisement is and also, you know, something called a person specification as well in terms of the the behaviours, the skill strengths that are, that, that are looking at. And all of those things are have got a unique way you know, you've, you have, all, all those things are individual uh, organizations sometimes do take time to craft specifications draft the uh, the job descriptions and so forth in in many cases what i what i find is that the more time and effort that you, you spend in terms of actually crafting what that looks like the better to differentiate not only in terms of your yourself as an organization but also speak to the prospective uh, employee, and I think that's the key. It's about communicating to the prospective uh, member of the, of your team 
this is what we're seeking, this is the type of person, the behaviours, the knowledge, the skills, and I think it's it's been able to transfer that across to them, where it, it you know the job advert, the job description really resonates, and, and they're able to understand exactly what that means. The more more detail you give, the better it is. Our uh, view on that is that we we also now produce a briefing document, particularly for manager roles, where they're managing contracts. And within that, we actually give them information with regard to the contract itself that they're dealing with, what that entails, what's involved. We, we, we actually share with them the organization chart, uh, the, the staff that they have, the responsibilities that they've been, they've been managing. We share with them the constraints that we have, the, the strengths, the opportunities, some of our challenges. We, we, we share all of that information with them. So they're coming in with their eyes open. It's not just a matter of, um, you know, you applying with us, but we, we're also sharing with them what's and all, what's, you know, what that job is, what that, what, you know, what that role requires and, and get them to start relaying to us why they're the right purpose person for the job so there's a selection criteria that we go through which isn't just about an advert but it's, it's much more you know giving them much more information but in terms of, of the advert or the the job posting i mean i know that you've you've you, you've talked in the past to me about how important the use of language can be in this in in the respect that you know certain words perhaps would put off certain people perhaps you know there are words which are perhaps more masculine in, a, in an advertisement that might put women off. Just, I mean, that's, that, that's drilling down into a lot of detail, but just tell me a bit more about that, the, the phrases that you use and the, the language that you use in order to encourage as wide a variety of people to, to apply. I think I think one of the things is that we've realised, and, and the sector itself has realised that there are certain words that attract certain types of people. So when you're talking about personal traits, characteristics, then that's gen, that tends to be more appealing to males. If if you're talking about ambitious, you know, some more sort of behaviour characteristics that tends to sort of appeal more to males when you're talking about knowledge and skills and more factual stuff uh, which is you know have you got this level of experience this level of knowledge that then that appeals either to both parties but it's more females as well where this they can actually say yes I've got this you know this is what I entail as opposed to more in terms of the, the drive the ambition the the get up and go type of characteristics i think i think that's generally is is you know you know it's recognized within the industry uh, in terms of the importance of how the jobs are written to ensure the fact that you can attract a wide pool of people to apply for those in some cases even the job title itself can be quite off-putting in, in terms of how it's written so it, it's it, all of these things make an impact make a difference in terms of you know who who you would who you would attract to for that position it's a very good point that you make and uh, of course if you don't get the language right then albeit unintentionally you can be significantly influencing the um the response that you get for for the posting of the advert in the modern world, there are so many different places that you can 
advertised jobs. I mean, the days when you, you know, you'd put the advert in the local newspaper and that would be about it of all gone. There are so many other jobs platforms that, that you can use. I mean, what's, what platforms do, do you use when you're recruiting? Um, where do you post the, the job? I think mo- mostly at this point in time, I would say the job boards that are out there cover most mo- most of our needs. Quite a few of these job boards also syndicate these jobs into other newspapers or online platforms as well. So the market leaders are in is Indeed. So Indeed is uh, probably the number one jobs board out there. You know, you've got CV Library, Total Jobs, Monster, Read. That would probably be majority of the uh, the, the the marketplace for for for, uh, for recruitment. Uh, these are boards where you can also see search CVs, but predominantly you can advertise your vacancies on those boards. And then I would say, you know, if you've got a bit of an employer brand, for some following, also onto onto your promote the job onto your social media. Um, and then you can also talk, look at recruitment agencies, particularly if they're well known within your sector as well. And that would probably be a diverse range of activities, which would get you the most possible results. And I'm not forgetting the fact that you know you can market through your own staff uh, internally, get them to promote as well. And I think you know you want to be in a position where you've got a wide range of promotion out there particularly for for key vacancies to try and attract the best that you can what, what just just tell me what what role you think that you know employment consultancies recruitment consultancies have in this you know headhunters do you think that they can add significantly to the process or is it something that you would not tend to use i mean we do use recruitment agencies what we find is that not every prospective employee will will put their job out onto a job board or will apply directly quite a few will go to a recruitment agency so if somebody's dissatisfied with their current role the first thing that one of the first things that they might do is maybe go to a recruiter to discuss what's out there in the marketplace and i think if you're not if you're if you're not that way inclined you're going to be missing out on, on that particular talent as well so we look at it as a whole so even though we like to recruit as much as we can, obviously internally, to not you know to save on cost. But we also realise that we want, we want to attract the best possible candidates as well. So we're very open to using recruitment agencies and just just being more open to the to the fact that you know you want to get as many people who are the right type of people applying for your position as well to try and get the best best outcome. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, I mean, do you think that, um, generally speaking, from your experience, and of course, you know, it will differ, but 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 where you have decided to use a recruitment consultancy, do you generally find that if you do that, you generally recruit someone that they put to you, or, or would you offer? There must be times when you use a consultancy, but still decide to recruit somebody you've come across in a, in another another way. I think the, the, one of the benefits of recru- using a recruitment agency is uh, you know you get a another perspective from the recruiter. The recruiter has spent some time with the individual. They discuss certain things that are not necessarily on the CV. Their reasons for applying, maybe some of the issues that they have presently with their work, maybe some of some some concerns that they have, and those things you may not pick up 
and you in fact you won't pick up until you meet the person. So you've got a an, another insight, and that insight is often very valuable in terms of understanding the the the, the person. And and what you also find is that you you're buying in the expertise that the recruiter has, and the recruiter knows that you know they've got to be, you know they've they've got to add value, and I think that's the key. And for for ourselves, yes, you know, we will go out and recruit ourselves. We will put a ad, advert out on Indeed, CV Library. Uh, we will put it out in in terms of our local on, on our internet. You know, we'll talk to our team, but we'll also talk to recruiters as well, just to get that added uh, exposure and try and get the best opportunity to recruit the best person for the role. Uh, let's talk about about you know the next stage that we've got to you've you you've, you've got a short list you've prepared a short list of people i mean i know it will vary but roughly what do you think what number of people do you think constitutes a good short list and talk me tell me something about you know the interview process um what sort of style of interview you'd hold where you'd hold them how many people might you involve so let's start off with um the short list i mean typically what's a good short list for you I think that that does vary. That does vary for us. I think getting the right balance is key. You know, you could be in a position where you've got too many people or too few people. In terms of recent examples, we've had three people shortlist, but we've probably had hundred individuals who've, who've applied, and then it's a case of a process of elimination first as a way of of filtering. And then, then there's an element of selection afterwards. So you start off eliminating as many as you can, filtering down to a select few, and then from there onwards, you're looking at possibly having conversations. Um, that that conversation could be ten people or thereabouts, and you know that could be a first stage process. And then really from there, you know, we have a three stage for our managers process. So there's a first stage. Uh, telephone conversation type interview then there's a panel presentation that we ask them to come in and then after that there's a third stage conversation interview as well what we found talking to about three to four people is just about right in terms of you know this the selection criteria because we're asking them in many cases to go away and prepare a presentation particularly when we're recruiting managers who are contract managers or managers of of of, a, of an academy or a division then we're presenting them with information and getting them to do a mini business plan or a proposal and that will obviously entail them spending time but it's also you know time on our behalf and then we've got two or three people at least who are sitting on the panel then then that's a, a fair amount of of our investment as well so i think getting that Getting that is 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 right. I've never, you know, if there's not enough candidates, then I think you've got to go out back to the marketplace because you have to have, I believe, something to compare to. You know, otherwise, you you know, you can make the mistake of, you know, going and, and saying it's right when you've got nothing really to compare compare with. And I think that comparison is absolutely right. You, and that's a really interesting point there. Some years ago, I was in, I was involved with a, an executive recruitment consultancy head hunting group uh, and they said adrian just remember until the very 
last stages. This is an elimination process. It's it's not a selection process. I was told, you know, always wear a white shirt and a blue tie because nobody takes objection to that. And it's, you know, if you can get through the early stages, then um, then you you can get to the point where they actually start selecting. How many interviews would would you normally expect to have for a senior position? Interviews in terms of people. No, sorry, Yusuf, in terms of, you know, a first interview, a second interview, a third interview, I mean, some 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 of these processes seem to go on forever. I mean, would you normally expect to make a decision after the first interview or would you want more than that? Well, ours, ours is a very structured process, particularly with regard to managers. recruiting somebody who's a manager contract manager then you know we 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 manage their expectations by saying to them the fact that it's a three-stage process a telephone interview there's a presentation and then there's a interview at the end which is after the event and and more about uh, discussing a way forward the presentation for us is is the key because that's when they're talking and presenting with regard to the 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 organization um, objectives and really their business plan you know we see exactly what they can deliver the first one is a bit more about where they are presently what their drivers are a little bit about their experiences their knowledge um, much more with regard to where they are in the journey and also at, the, at that time sharing with them in terms of where we are and what our obstacles are if they're interested and we you know we advise them that the processor will require them to do a presentation then we give them the briefing document that briefing document could be 15 pages worth of information which has got data stats numbers uh, organogram various things where they're actually studying what that role is what the constraints are what the opportunities are thinking about the job and coming in and doing a at least an hour presentation with half with, with half an hour minimum Q and A based on the presentation. So in that presentation for us, we're not necessarily talking about what they've done in the past or competency tire style interviews or talking about you know situations and and the whole star type interview situations tasks. And, you know, those sort of things it's more specifically relating to our business where we are presently on our journey what they need to be looking at and how they're going to overcome that that's what we tend to rely on can they do the job do they understand it are they able to convey how they're going to do it that's key for us and then, then after that you know we have a the third stage interview which is really about combination of the first and the second and then this is where we we, we get to know the person a little bit more and and try and try and when somebody applies for a job um, with with your business do they do they they send in a letter a cv do they have to fill in a form because a lot of public sector bodies these days have got this process which a lot of people find very annoying where you 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 can't use a cv you have to send in a form and you have to handwrite it and all the rest of it and you know you you, do do you do do you have a form or do people send in a cv or how does that work so we we rely on the on on a cv so we we work on their cv we 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 encourage people to send their cv across after they've been offered a position 
we get them to fill in a form to grab all their information and ensure the fact that they confirm that it's true and accurate and so forth. But the starting process, we we work from their CV. Uh, we hope that they've tailored their CV as best as they can for the role, but we work from a CV. So that's, that's our preference. But as you write, a lot of the uh, government-type jobs, uh, civil service, some of the blue-collar, um, blue-chip companies, they tend to sort of favour an application form and then that's their their structure. But as you said, it's uh, yeah, it's it's you know it's it's what what the employer feels right for them and what works for them. How much score do you put by references? Do you? Um, I mean, some people think you know references basically you're not going to put somebody down as a reference if they're going to say something bad about you. And 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 um, you know there are quite some significant legal issues if if someone, for example, is offered a job on condition of reference and then that job offer is withdrawn legally they're entitled to see the reference that lost them the job uh, do you put much do you ask for references and do you put much score by them i think it's a condition of our employment that you know we ask for references you know we work in a regulating environment so for example you know education public sector uh, we've got to meet certain criteria so for example we will say this offer that we we've given you is subject to a dbs check a disclosure barring service check a crb check but it's also subject to uh, references and i think that they they're, they're key things again out of the businesses health and social care we've got to have a trail uh, and we've got to have a uh, we've we've got to be able to look at the last say 10 years uh, again, foster care business as well. We've got to go into detail in terms of their reasons for leaving and look at those things. So it, it depends on your your sector, depends on, you know, if you've got any regulatory constraints. But from our perspective, uh, I think references are important. It's usually we collect the references after we've offered the position. I mean, you put... Um You've talked about the various processes that you go through um, to try and make sure that the recruitment process is as fair and equitable as it can be. But particularly as people get a bit older, the the, the biggest uh, recruitment tool uh, is probably word of mouth, although otherwise known as the old boys or the old girls network and sometimes known as by cynics as cronyism. I mean, how do you feel about recruitment through you know, recruitment of people you know or people that are recommended to you and is that cheating or what do you think? I, I think using the friends and family network is is uh, is a positive thing but it can't be the only thing to, to use. So from what our perspective is, it's a way of getting information across. You know, in terms of your recruiting, you've got to recruit what you perceive, what you believe is the best person for the business, best person for the job. And I think that's the bottom line. As long as you've got the right intention, then I think that's not an, it's not an issue in terms of how you get the message across. You know, our our main objective is to let as many people know that, that there is a vacancy, get that, get, get the information disseminated using social media, using uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, all of those things as well as our current staff members, uh, recruitment agencies, traditional job boards, as many people as we can. That's the key for us. And then after that, it's uh, it's the, you know, obviously the process of elimination, the process of selection, and then really starting getting those conversations, but getting a diverse pool of people 
I think it's absolutely key to uh, try and find the best person for, for the role. Uh, and, and finally, you've got your man or you've got your woman. Um, uh, in terms of you know, drawing up the, 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 the contract and the, and the formal part of it, would you normally basically say, you know, this is a job and it's X amount per year and take it or leave it? Or, or is the negotiation on the terms and conditions part and parcel of the interview? Or is that something that comes when you've decided who you want and, 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 and you try and nail that down at that point? For us, it's if you know in terms of the manager level so we've, we, that I mentioned in terms of the third stage of the process, that's where we start talking about salary in detail, our offer in detail. Uh, what we also find at that stage is that you know we've we've had individuals who've applied for a position where their expectation is slightly more than the banding that we've offered. So that sometimes can be a stumbling block in in terms of the the conversation. Uh, we may have a viewpoint that you know we want to offer maybe middle of the band. And their their expectation is to be at the highest level of the band, and those conversations come right at the end. That's the stage where we tend to talk about salary and and terms and conditions and so forth. What we found in the past is that each person has got a different perspective. So for some people, uh, flexibility is important. Uh, working from home uh, and having the choice to work from home. On particular days, that's more of a driver. In other cases, it's having company vehicle or expenses, or getting to understand, you know, you know, pension schemes and benefits and health benefits and so forth. We try and, where possible, try and uh, compromise and, and uh, offer according to a, a sense of package. So it's not one size fits all. Particularly when you're talking and recruiting at a higher level, I think there's an element where you expect negotiation. We wouldn't necessarily do that at a at a sort of junior positions. You know, it's a, it's a salary. This is the base, uh, and often uh, we wouldn't expect to start negotiating with somebody at those levels. But definitely higher levels, higher levels. We you know there is a lot of negotiation, a lot of understanding in terms of what 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 are the key drivers for that person. But by that time, you know, in terms of the third stage, you've already got an idea of you know where this is going and 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 where where the middle ground is and and what would work for both parties. It's a very big subject, and um, well, we could talk about it for a long time, but unfortunately, we we haven't got any more time. But these this topic uh, is covered in in Saf's uh, book, the third book. Um, now comes the time to curtail our canny conversation with a cause. Thanks for listening and catch up at your convenience. Thanks for listening to this Canny Conversation with a Cause. These conversations are based upon the Canny Bites books by Safraz Ali, available on Amazon. To find out more, go online and visit Saf's website, pathwaygroup.co.uk, or join him on social media. He can be contacted at safraz at pathwaygroup.co.uk. This is a 1386 audio production.